Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. If you listen on the Entail app, that's E-N-T-A-L-E, photos, links and videos of what we're talking about will pop up as you listen. Have a look. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily and uh, I'm absolutely fine. But I have this awful feeling, which I'm sure a lot of you will be familiar with, which is that I feel like I've done something wrong. I feel like everything I say is wrong. Every time I open my mouth, I, it's almost like I can hear my brain going, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Oh, OK, you're wearing those shoes today. And it's a sort of spiralling. It's not the same as not feeling good enough, which I feel all the time, as we know. But it's the it's that I've done something wrong. I am wrong. Something is wrong. Oh, and I, I, honestly, I feel it. I'm feeling it in all my various body parts today. And I've sort of full well, it body. It sounds like shame, um, which is a really tough one. Oh, yeah, no, I know. We need to get Mandy back and to grill us on shame, don't we? Mandy Salagari, yes. Get it back in to drill down deep into shame. Yeah. Um, yes, I think. I feel I'm coated in shame. And I, I don't know. I wish I had felt, felt like I'd come out of this thing heroically. But somehow I feel maybe it'll all kick back into place. Anyway, how are you, my darling friend? Uh, well... In the last 24 hours in my house, uh, I have noticed, I mean, it's always slightly falling apart, but just in the last 24 hours, I've noticed that a radiator cover has fallen off. One of the banister spike stick rod pole things has fallen out. Two cupboard doors have fallen off. There's a new damp patch in the kitchen. And apart from the fact that it feels like a metaphor for my entire life and my internal sort of, you know, squalor, it brings up this thing in me where I... On the one hand, I want to be an independent single woman. But on the other hand, I just need rescuing. I just want someone that isn't me to get up a fucking ladder and sort it out. And then to compound that, I'm locked in the dance of death with the world's worst plumber, (laughs) who Emily introduced me to about two years ago, Bob. And when something goes wrong, the good thing about Bob is that he turns up. The bad thing about Bob is he turns up and and breaks things and makes things worse than they were before. So he arrives to fix a leak and leaves and there's no hot water for a week. Or the leak comes out somewhere else. I mean, it's the worst of every world. He's cost, Bob has cost me thousands. So I'm resentful. The house is falling down around my ears and I, and I, and I, and I, and I want to be rescued. Oh. So it's, it's pathetic, really. But um, at least we have the brilliant Sophia Money Coots, who is an actual person and a writer, not a made-up character, on the podcast today. <laughs> now, we know she's real because we've known her for years, and she's the author of three best-selling saucy bonkbusters, a journalist, and now the host of a fantastic new podcast about her journey, we'll discuss that word in a minute, her journey towards freezing her eggs and beyond. We are delighted she's here, so we can probe her about every little detail. Legs in stirrups, please. How are you, Sophia? <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm very well. Excited about the probing. I'm used to probing by this point. I've had lots of probing in the past few months, so <laughs> thrilled. And I am absolutely fine, but I'm having... Last night, I had the worst anxiety dreams I've had for ages about my ex-boyfriend, which coincides with the fact I think I'm moving house next week. So my anxiety levels are very, very, very sky high at the moment. And for some reason, they've manifested themselves with my ex lurking back into my head in my in my brain when I'm asleep. He's snuck in there. So yes, that's where I am. I hate dreaming about ex-boyfriends. It's so triggering. And also it takes you back to where you were at some point in the period just before or after the breakup when you were just sort of covered in misery and mm. guilt uh, or resentment or heartbreak or whatever the nature mm-hmm. of the breakup was. It just takes you straight back. And then when you wake up, it infects yeah. your day. It was so, totally, it was so real as well. All those feelings, just as you said, like the, the shame and the guilt and the everything and the, oh my God. Also the, oh my God, 
I've got to go through the breakup again. They were right back there in my head. It's so bizarre how deep down in our brains we squirrel away all those things and that they can be accessed at any moment so yes I'm I know and you're kind oh. of like why can't I manifest sort of lovely flying dreams exactly that are sort of improbable why am I manifest manifesting so uh, manifesting basically manifesting Ooh. great <laughs> word Men- manifesting that is exactly what I spent all last night manifesting in bed <laughs> oh, now it sounds rude <laughs> it was not much sound, fun I'm very you made it sound um, very Jilly Cooper <laughs> I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the manifestoring of your life. Oh, I hope this turns <laughs> up in book four, which you are writing. Okay. Book four. Um, yeah. But there's not much manifestoring involved in egg freezing. Quite the contrary. No, I'm. I'm trying to avoid. Yes, that's a way of getting round manifestoring. I suppose is egg freezing. Yeah. I'm sort of doing it for myself, going solo. Yes. All those yes. things. So at least, at least you're not fixating on the manifestoring. No, it just pops into my brain every now and then. I think mm. there he is. So if I go back a few years to when I was looking at all this stuff, Mm -hmm. the sort of accepted wisdom then was that embryos freeze well and eggs freeze badly. Right. But I I think times have moved on. Is that right? Yes. It's one of the questions that I asked my doctor about a million times for egg freezing because the received wisdom used to be that embryos uh, were much more successful and much better than eggs. And the answer that he gave me 900 million times, wearily by the end, um, (laughs) was that uh, he couldn't recommend egg freezing to me if there was a huge huge difference the egg freezing techniques have now got so good that there isn't much of a difference the thing that the thing that still remains is that you can then have you know i've now got 22 eggs in the freezer and i know they're 22 eggs but until one comes to fertilize them um, and you want obviously to get an egg to what's called a blastocyst which is a sort of five-day cell which gets whacked up inside you if you fertilize them you, you just don't know that i could have what in um fertility terminology are called blank such a hideous another hideous bit of terminology i remember Blah. that from when i was looking to get yeah looking to get pregnant which was that you you, you can count your eggs but you're never going to know how they behave until they do their job there's no way to know exactly so that's why uh, em- embryos could still you know might still be better than eggs but fertilizing embryos it adds on a whole nother layer of, of emotional complication to someone like me who's who's already got get just getting their head around freezing eggs and also expense you know buying the sperm getting them fertilized all of that so because i got so many eggs which was unexpected i've decided that their eggs are going to stay in the freezer for the time being and not to worry also freezing embryos doesn't solve your problem of what if i meet someone at 45 right exactly that's the thing you can do it to hedge your but you know if i if i really wanted um a sort of triple lock insurance policy i could go through another round of egg freezing and and then fertilize all of those and then i'd have loads of eggs and then some embryos and then i'd have all those in the freezer but i feel a bit conflicted about that because what if i ended up with say 15 embryos in the freezer that i'm never going i'm not I'm never gonna have 15 babies there's a little bit of me that feels that worries about that morally so i think for the time being i'm just happy to let my eggs sit in their little freezer and um and wait for if i need them down the line if um if we just rewind a little bit to a year or two mm-hmm. ago now are you coming um are you coming to this from the point of view of, of of certainty that you want to be a mother very good question and the answer to that changes almost on a daily basis at the moment i never i've never felt 100% that i definitely want to have children i don't know how many women do feel feel that i've sort of imagined that one day they might be in my future and what egg freezing has done is basically allowed me to sort of postpone that decision a bit i feel increasingly recently that i probably a little bit broodier definitely i'm now 25 i I think also what happens is we grow up with this idea of the dream don't we 
yeah. the dream, the dream. And if the dream, if the 2.2 dream doesn't unfold the way we expected to at the time, we anticipated that it would, then we start thinking about yeah, different dreams. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is just a different dream. This is, you know, say Mr. Nearly Perfect doesn't wander along in the next few years. I could do it by myself if I feel like... I want to have a child enough that I, I am willing to do it by myself. That's that's what I'm trying to work out at the moment. If if um I don't find anyone on Hinge, which is looking increasingly unlikely, I have to say, <laughs> um, then could I just have a baby by myself? Increasingly, I do feel like that is something that I probably would do to avoid missing out. But I'm still sort of sitting on the fence a little bit about it. Well, I guess you come to a point where you either you either proceed and see where you get to, or you find a way to grieve it. Yeah. But you don't, what you've done is made sure you don't have to make that decision until you're right, ready to. for a couple of years. I think that that feels like the powerful thing that you've done is take mm. sort of slight control back over the situation so that you do have choices, you do have avenues open. Your, you, you know, your journey, as it were, isn't, is no longer completely dependent on finding Mr. Nearly Perfect or right. on, you know, doing everything in a speedy time frame. Because it is yeah. it's terrifying. The language around it also is so triggering and... So I, I mean, I would encourage everybody to try and take their as much power back always. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. I think that's what egg freezing does. And although I always have to try and be very careful because it's obviously no insurance, there's no guarantee that you get a baby with it. All the doctors, you know, constantly tell you that. Um, but I still, even though I've written a lot about it and read a lot about it and have interviewed friends who've done it, I still wasn't prepared for, you know, that big wave of relief having done it. And the wave of sort of relief that it did give me, I was really taken aback by that. It just, it was a really good feeling to think, oh God, okay. Well, I think that, I think that we hold on to so much fear and tension around fertility yeah. that it's, you know, it's embedded deep in our subconscious. Mm. And if you, you know, it's, it's, you don't want to face it because it feels, you, we're not meant to. We're not meant to sort of sit there and, 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 you, know, and you know, and look over the cliff towards what might be. Yeah, even just words like the cliff. I mean, for fuck's sake, yeah. it's like women's, <laughs> the, the, you fall off the fertility cliff. It's like, it feels so kind of final and kind of, and, and painful yeah, and cruel. Except you don't, no. you don't. It's a gradual No, slope. it's a slope. All the words are so bad. The other one I hate is when people talk about your egg harvest, which is, you know, your collection or your opera. It's just, oh. I know, it's sad, but also it sounds, it sounds both agricultural yeah. and biblical. No, yeah. and also horror like children of the corn do you know what i mean it's, it's like very psychotic children coming out with this with yeah their, it does like I've got a c combine harvester going up there no thank <laughs> you <laughs> um what i've certainly noticed since i embarked on my journey mm -hmm. some years ago was how um societal reactions and expectations have shifted only in the last five to ten years around this mm -hmm. have you felt that well yeah actually i think in my from my perspective even faster in a way because i think you know, when you did it, I think there might have been more eyebrow raising at, at women who choose to become single mothers. Now, I think I've noticed in the past year when I've sort of tentatively been Googling it and looking into it, there are so many support sort of networks out there. And it, and it definitely wouldn't be as sort of shocking or surprising, I think, as it was really quite recently. And, like you know, my parents definitely I've talked to them about it and they've totally got their heads around it. And um, you know, obviously it's a bigger thing for, for that generation. My my mum and dad are in their 60s, but they are totally for it. If it means that, you know, I have a baby instead of not, then they're all for it, basically. So, yeah, I think it has changed a lot. And it will change, I think, you know, very quickly in the, ne in the next few years. How long did it take you to decide to press go? Uh, about a year on egg freezing. And that was actually the hardest bit. Coming to that decision means admitting to yourself, or it meant admitting to myself, that I wasn't where I thought I would be when I was little. And I thought, right, by 
by 35, I'll definitely be, you know, married or with someone. I'll definitely have one, two kids, probably a dog. I remember thinking that I'd get married at 26, have my, oh, yeah, sort of 15, married at 26, yeah. first baby at 20, you know, eight. And, yeah. and, and, and really, and really just sort of almost, you know, it was almost, it wasn't even a hope. It was like a prediction. Yeah, no, it was totally. a certainty around it. Because I suppose when we're younger, we look to those above us and that's what generations above us were doing. So ha- what wouldn't be any alternatives to imagine, really? Mm. And so, yeah, so it took me a year to get my head around, OK, that's not where I am. Which is kind of ironic as well. Sorry, just to go back is mm. given like, I don't know about, you know, all of like my parents, all my friends' parents getting divorced at the same time as we were, as we were like 13, 11, 12, but still going, but we're still going to follow the dream. It's amazing. The conditioning, even looking around at the kind of the splintered relationships and the second families and whatever that we all like witnessed in, in, in different degrees at school and everything. Yeah. We still stuck to our fairy tale guns. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's so true. Actually, Mike, because I've got divorced parents, my parents are divorced and my mum has been divorced twice and my siblings and I have always debated does having divorced parents make you more likely to want to get married or let or more determined to make it worse or less because none of us my brother my sister and I are none of us are married none of us are remotely close to being married we're all incredibly wary of it so we've gone that way but I think for other people it can make them more determined to think right I'm gonna make this dream happen I'm gonna make this my my story so after you broke up with the boyfriend that you dreamed about last night, yes. you started to confront your own situation, really. Right, exactly. I was, it was a hideous, hideous breakup. I was in a sort of very sad place for a long time, which both of you, you know, <laughs> remember the endless <laughs> tears. Um, and then I also took a friend of mine to have her eggs frozen, which is what then sort of started Triggering! Me. Triggering! I remember weeping in her bloody hotel room in the list of poor... Poor friend, Katie, she won't mind me saying her name. Um, she was the one having the operation. There was I sort of weeping in a hotel room because I was like, oh God, this is me now too. I'm going to have to do this thing. And It's like um, men who faint when their wives are in labour. Right, basically. that was basically me. And the other thing... <laughs> Classic men. <laughs> Classic, Classic men. Classic men. No, but the other thing that I did, which was incredibly unhelpful, was it was she was nil by mouth until midday when she had to go for her operation. And I we'd arrived at the Lister at 7am in the morning. So I said at 7 in the morning, right, I'm just going to nip to Pret on the King's Road to get myself a baguette, a muffin, a fruit salad and a coffee. And I returned to her room and ate all those things. So I was the worst Florence Nightingale ever, crying while eating my egg baguette in her room. Um, <laughs> going, this could be me when your friend is yeah, actually going, no, this is me. And could you please not reflect this mirror back at me? Like, for once it's not about you (laughs) (laughs) anyway so yes so I then basically spent that year um thinking about it had had the fertility test which now that's a moment Mm. let's not gloss over the fertility (laughs) test because you know knowledge to a certain extent is power so you have to find out where you are right if you're gonna have it you have to find out where you are so you go in and you have you know you have the scan with the big dildo with the condom on that goes yeah. inside you and sees if you've got follicles which mm-hmm. you get so used to after enough fertility yeah. stuff that you just walk into the room and look for the stuff. just drop your nipples <laughs> automatically yeah exactly just don't wear any <laughs> and then uh, you've got these you've got these blood tests that are taken on um on a certain day of your cycle and yeah. so yeah how, how did you feel around i mean it's the waiting isn't it it's the waiting yeah i was um as you said i was absolutely fine about the scan and the blood test but then i had to wait i think a few days before i got the results and i remember getting an email from um lovely zeta west who did mine and it was one of those emails that it's like when you you're waiting for a text from a guy and then you get the text and you analyze every little word and oh he did a big kiss or a little kiss not a big kiss and zeta's email said to me 
hi, Sophia, I've got your results. Are you around for a chat? And I was instantly like, oh, oh my God. God. Well, I'm infertile. I'm infertile. I probably won't have a baby. I'll just get a dog instead and I'll become an auntie and that's fine. I'll have a nice life. I'll go traveling and I just will spend all my money on other things. And and anyway, so I literally replied, obviously, within seconds. Been like, yes, I'm around for a chat. And, um, and then I think it was about 10 minutes, 10 agonizing minutes. And she called me and actually it was fine. I had average um, what's AMH levels, which is your anti-malarian hormone. Um, which so are, that's egg reserve, basically. Basically, yeah indicative of where your egg reserves are so that was it was fine it was Did average you have your fsh done as well fsh no i don't think i did for that oh, do they do no i think in that test which is the follicle stimulating hormone right that's what then that's when it comes to egg freezing that's what i was busy injecting basically which makes you produce lots of estrogen um so all these um yeah initials mh fsh lh is another one luteinizing hormone there's all these lovely hormones that are floating around your system it's weird isn't it how you integrate all this terminology and language into your thinking yeah and it just becomes sort of completely normalized in a way where i don't think there's any guy sitting around there worrying about you know his hormones or his well maybe i suppose they might be worrying about the testosterone levels but yeah you do yes or motility is sperm count and motility motility how good they are at swimming i'm just so impressed as as well like annabelle like you know, you went through the journey, the journey, and you just haven't forgotten all this terminology. Like it's so ingrained, it's so like high priority in your brain, which is amazing. I mean, I can, you know, yeah. Like, I mm. think you know, you, I think you spend that time for me certainly in a state of very, very heightened awareness. And of course, the real fucker about it is that stress is the enemy of fertility. <laughs> so everybody is begging you to relax now. That punch <laughs> and reflexology, and you're better. Yeah. You know, so relaxing. Sort of low level deranged. I remember it all. I remember it all. Also, it's it in in many ways for me. Mm. It was by far the biggest thing I'd ever done. The test. The whole process. The journey. The journey. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. The, yeah, the preamble to the journey thing for listeners is that it is impossible to talk about fertility without talking about your journey. And you cannot say journey in an English accent. You have to say it in a cod American journey. <laughs> you have to. It's, it's one of those laws. It's the, it's the law. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, your, so your results came back and, and they were okay. And then you thought, so, you, so, you're, so that's a crossroads. So because what yeah. you realise you've got potentially, um, you get, you know, your reasonable AMH levels back is a bit of time. So many mm-hmm. women may have decided to think, okay, fine, I, you know, I'll come back in three years. You know, I've got, I've got, you yeah. know, I've, I've got some eggs swilling around. Maybe I will meet Mr. Nearly Perfect, you know. Yes. And in, in fact, that's what a lot of people I think do do because the average age of the British woman who gets her eggs frozen is 38. So I think that is exactly what they do. They get probably fertility tests around 35. And then if three years later, they're still on their own. They might then think about freezing eggs. I thought... Uh, having got the average results I sort of just wanted to get on with it I think by that point I thought well it is a good thing to do I've got a friend who in fact two friends my age so they were 34 at that point who'd done it and you know you do get it's not a cliff it's a slope but you do tend to get better results high numbers of eggs probably if you do it around 35 then even you know three years later and then I guess and you said this on the first episode of your podcast actually but it means that if you decide to have your uterus doesn't particularly age so mm. if you decide to have IVF at 45 mm. you have the same chance as a 35 year old woman having IVF is that right yeah it's totally about the age of the eggs which is why you know women in there you know I think there was a woman in India who had babies when she was 63 last year um it's it but with it would have been it was donor eggs um eggs are the things that that matter and the older they get the more chromosomal abnormalities they have etc etc so effectively what egg freezing does is it just hoiks them out and freezes them at that moment in time so say I come back to use my eggs in you know six seven years time when I'm 41 or 42 then I it will be like trying to use a 35 year or it will be using a 35 year old egg 
One of the things that I always found and continue to find quite upsetting about the way that fertility is talked about, it's, it's perfectly true and reasonable, mm. is that when doctors talk about how small the windows are, mm. so the real difference between a 38-year-old egg and a 41-year-old egg, yeah. which gives you this horrible sense of urgency because that is not very long. Yeah, no, no, no. This idea of, de- of, of degradation that you're constantly, there's a wallpaper, if you're thinking about it, that's going on. You know, well, basically, it's, it's the biological clock, but it's so unfair. I, I agree. I think the biggest thing about this whole thing is how unfair it, it all is. That, yeah. you know, that if we women want careers and independence and we want to flourish in our 30s and, you know, we want to use our 20s to build up, you know, our reputations or our careers or whatever. And we or want just to, give... to become real people. Mm. Well, quite, yeah. exactly. Not even just all become kind of, you know, fucking brain surgeons or astrophysicists <laughs> or whatever. But then we put at risk our sort of, bio, you know, the, 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 the problem of biology. And I feel like, you mm. know, I feel that tension. It's incredibly destructive, actually. I'm always women. angry when I see in, in the newspaper, probably the Daily Mail, that, you know, this idea that you know that you were too career minded you know, to have a baby. I don't know any woman really who's put her career first. No, no it's, it's just usually usually it's just bad bloody luck or sliding doors or you need a bit more therapy or yeah. you had a really shit boyfriend or your dad was a bit of a number or you know it's many many things. But but choosing you know your career over over motherhood if you want if you want to have a child I, I've never seen that happen. No, and the only other thing is and then you see you know Mick Jagger has twenty five kids at seventy and you just yeah. think fucking hell. Bernie Eccleston had his son earlier this year. He's 89. I mean, it's mad. At the same time as his daughter. Right, yeah, yeah. Who had her baby. Oh, yeah, it is It is very unfair. It is. And what, and what, was, that, what was that statistic you were talking about earlier um, about freezing sperm? Oh, so this is something I found when I, yeah, when I was making the podcast. So at the moment, my eggs can now be in the freezer for 10 years. That is the limit on freezing eggs. If you choose to have eggs... God, I think, I've got, I think I've got peas older than that. Social, <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Probably. For social reasons, there's this horrible distinction with egg freezing. I have elected to have it done, for, therefore I've had what's called social egg freezing. Non-social egg freezing is if you've had some horrible illness, like a form of cancer, and you've had chemo, which might affect your eggs, so then you... God, social egg freezing with a name like Sophia Money Coots. People social... could really get the I wrong know. idea, couldn't they? Doesn't it just feel like I've done it over a martini? That's why I hate the term. <laughs> it sounds so frivolous. I've just had social egg freezing. But so you can freeze your social eggs for 10 years? So my eggs can be in the freezer for 10 years. If you have non-social, they can be in the freezer for up to 55 years. So that's already a bit of a discrepancy, but which is sort of mad in a way because it proves that eggs, they don't deteriorate in the freezer. They're absolutely fine. So the quality stays the same. But what's particularly unfair when it comes to all this is that sperm can be frozen for up to 55 years because men, the acceptable range for acceptable, quote unquote, of uh, age range for a man to be a father is so long. So that's why they're allowed to keep their sperm in the freezer with the peas for so long because they can be a father like Bernie Eccleston up to 89, probably not advised, but they can. Whereas we obviously can't. So we're restricted to 10 years. The law is about to change. The government announced a consultation in February. So it's hoped there's this very fierce, amazing baroness called Baroness Deitch who's leading this campaign to try and get the limit extended for women with their eggs in the freezer. But who knows? It's just is very unfair and discriminatory at the moment. So you had your blood tests. They were okay. You're in Mm -hmm. the right headspace. You had the money because you'd written your sexy books and you just thought, I'm going to crack on. I thought exactly I'm going to get on with it and get it done and sort of in that efficient brisk you know where you guys know me thought right I'll just do this I'll just get on and get them in the freezer and then I can tick that off and go back to my life um and tally ho yeah tally ho (laughs) off we go (laughs) so I did I actually started the whole I started the drugs and then 
lockdown just as lockdown kicked in so I had to pause it while all the um, fertility clinics were shut down for about two months I think in the end and um, weren't you locked down with small children yes I was locked down with which my could have nieces. either acted as a sort of permanent contraceptive <laughs> yeah but then it actually went the other way didn't it no it did go the other way because I have never really lived around a small young family because my siblings and I were all sent off to school and 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 actually being an adult and living around a young family was I saw the complete love and the you know joy of it all I saw the you know the downside as well the screaming about bath time and hair washing and not eating broccoli but I did love it and I did think I you know I that makes me think more that I do want this at some point in my life so yes luckily it went um the right way I think um and certainly from my mother's point of view who's delighted about this so I was living with them and then the IVF or or fertility clinics all reopened and as soon as I could basically I thought well this would be a good moment we're not really none of us are going out anyway because when you're egg freezing and shoving yourself with drugs you don't feel like going out very much so I thought okay I'm gonna get it done basically and but I wasn't sure I wasn't sure how many rounds I thought I might have to have a couple of rounds so that was the other reason I wanted to get on with it yeah and also because you know if anything's going to take you out of the dating pool it's um injecting hormones into your stomach that is true although I have interviewed some women who seem to be quite active on the dating scene going on dates with their drugs in their bag and nipping to the loo you know between the starter and the main course to shoot up well I know one woman who um was on Clomid about to start a different kind of protocol from you about to start her Mm. journey Mm. and um, had a one night stand and got immediately (laughs) pregnant oh but at 44 because she was just so pumped full of you know that is the risk they do tell you stuff they do tell you, be very careful, don't have... I mean, I laughed when the doctor said this. Try, try not to have sex when you're busy injecting. <laughs> yeah, if, just try. As if I was going to feel like it. Yeah, you have to try. I know they're coming at you from every direction, <laughs> but just, just try. So what was your particular protocol? How did it unfold for you? I So I was put on the um, long protocol because I have sort of regular periods or fines. So I had a nasal spray called Cinerel um, for uh, two weeks to begin with, which was every morning and every evening I would do in each nostril. And that is what basically puts you into, it's the down regulator. That's what essentially puts you into early menopause because what they're trying to do is turn off, they want to stop your brain from talking to your ovaries so that when they then pump you full of the hormone that then stimulates egg growth, your brain doesn't let them go. Right. So I had the nasal spray for two weeks and then I started the injections for another two weeks, which are injections of FSH, follicle stimulating hormone. It's um, quite, they're quite emotional. Injecting yourself is quite a strange emotional thing. I was terrified the first the first one. I remember I'd put the drugs in my sister, where I was living with, my, in my sister's house, next to the frubes and the spring onions. It was such a surreal thing going to the fridge to get out my... Uh, Menopure, the FSH was, and then you know you have to mix the little bloody solution and pull it into the into the syringe. And also, and all they, the while you're thinking, I'm not a nurse, I'm not qualified I'm, to do this. I'm not this remotely is costing trained. me thousands. <laughs> and also, there were air bubbles in the thing, and I was like, I'm well, gonna die. Well, I'm gonna you inject an air bubble. Exactly. And I'm gonna die like in Breaking Bad. Right, exactly. That's all you know. It's like don't inject an air bubble. And I was trying to flick the bloody thing, sitting on my at the edge of my bed, pinching your bloody stomach fat, and it just it was yeah, it is very emotional. However, once I'd done the first one, I did have this absolute wave of, of invincibility and I did feel a bit like Beyonce and I was like, this is so hardcore that I've done that. And actually the needles, they were, you know, they were, I'm lucky I don't have a needle phobia like a lot of people. They weren't, they weren't too bad. So, so yeah, I then did that for two weeks and then you basically, I was going into the Lister where I had it done every other day for scans and blood tests 
and then very dramatically towards the end my estrogen levels got way too high and I got a phone call from the lister saying you need to come in for your operation sooner than we thought um, I felt great actually by that point. I was sort of happy as Larry. I mean, I was enormous. I was the size of a house, but I yeah, did so mentally did feel you, didn't, right. you didn't get any of the anxiety or the sadness or the irritability or the rage? I did at the beginning with the nasal spray. I did have one particularly bad day that I remember when I just couldn't stop crying. And I walked, I went for a walk around Crystal Palace Park with sunglasses and a baseball hat on weeping so that no one else would see me weeping in the park. I felt really, it was like extreme PMT, basically. I was furious, angry. And even though you know it's because you're shoveling yourself with hormones, a bit like when you know that you've got PMT, you know it's PMT. It doesn't really, you can tell yourself that, but in the moment, okay. it doesn't make you it still that feel much like better. Shit. You're just like, well, I'm still fucking furious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and did you, get, did you get a big fat tummy? I've got friends who've had IVF and have looked, I mean, it's another cruelty, who've looked very pregnant. Right, people say you look five months pregnant, it's so unfair, particularly on women who are having IVF. Um, yes, I did, by the end, by the sort of two days before the operation... I I yeah looked like I was the size of a house and then but then that lasted also for quite a long time afterwards after the operation I had that I think for about another week afterwards no one tells you that that's the thing all the focus with egg freezing at least not which, and this differs from IVF with egg freezing the whole focus is on the day of collection because it's all about numbers how many have you got how many are going in the freezer and then the aftermath isn't really discussed I actually found the week afterwards I was really sick I felt like crap I was on antibiotics and anti-inflammatory drugs and I was still enormous. And I basically had to lie on my mum's sofa for about five, six days, not even hungry. I always know when I'm not feeling great because I'm not hungry. <laughs> I'm the greediest person in the world. And it took me a long time to feel better. So, yeah, that was a surprise. Which is awful, actually, at a point where you should want to try and feel like you have your life back under control and to end up exactly on the sofa you're just like oh, that's the thing you're like finally I'm not shoveling myself with hormones and also the internet is full of women who go well I just I had my legs in the stir I had the operation I skipped back to work and it was definitely not the case for me at what point did you know that you'd got 20 eggs oh the 20 eggs so that's so this is the amazing thing about the numbers game I heard of women who came round in the recovery room after the operation and they had the number written on their hand which seems an extraordinary thing for a hospital to do I came around in the recovery room and I had really bad period pains and so the nurse then lovely lovely nurse gave me a massive dose of fentanyl in my arm um, anyway it wasn't until I was then wheeled back upstairs high on fentanyl I then the, my phone in my the hospital room went and it was the embryologist who'd been busy downstairs while I'd been sort of smacked out of my mind um, and she said well we got 29 eggs but 22 of them are mature so they're going in the freezer and then I cried all over again because that was so many more than I thought I was going to get and I did then genuinely the, the doctor the surgeon who, who, who'd done me then came in to visit me and I did genuinely ask him if I'd had to pay more for storage costs because I thought because <laughs> I'm, I'm so fertile they might take up more space and he said no it was fine so you it's so social egg freezing as in the yeah. sort of egg freezing that you have, um, so you're not having chemotherapy, you're not in any kind of, you know, medical danger. Mm -hmm. You can't get on the NHS, is that right? You can't get on the NHS. So no. what is the cost? The cost, well, this is something to beware of. The cost is quoted normally for one round at around £3,500 to £3,800. That Plus drugs? Well, this is what hospitals tell you. This is what clinics tell you. And then... When you delve further into it, you realise that drugs and probably blood tests are on top of that. So my final total for one round was uh, was about £5,000. Right, so it's just a little bit more than uh, half what a full round of IVF would cost privately, I suppose. Yeah, and then there are storage costs. So I'm going to be paying 350 quid a year going forward. Um, so if you're for... a single woman and you're aiming for 20, mm. you could be looking at 15 grand. 
You could be looking, yeah, although a lot of clinics tend to offer a sort of supermarket style deal of one for three and a half thousand or three rounds for 10, because I think a lot of women, as, as I said earlier, the average woman is 38 when she has this done, need more than one round to get the magic number of 20 eggs that doctors recommend you get in the freezer for the chance of another hideous term they use, one live birth, which basically means one baby. How do you feel knowing that they're there? Um, very reassured knowing they're there now. I went to visit them the other day. I went to the Lister lab. I was allowed in. It was, it was like a school field trip. It was amazing. So, um, I went and I didn't even have to put on it. I went to this lab and I didn't, I had to put on, you know, like those Veruca shoes over my trainers in the lab, but I could peer around at all these little, these buckets of liquid nitrogen, which is the stuff they're frozen in, sort of pouring all over the floor and these people with hairnets and it all looks sort of quite... Do you ever see that film Gattaca? Yeah. It was a bit like that sci-fi film Gattaca in the lab where they were all busy freezing stuff and then we went into another room where my eggs actually are. That didn't look remotely Gattaca-like. This this is genuinely where all the eggs are stored in the Lister. It is a clearly what was once an office and it's got they've got lots of files around the outside of the of the office. And then there are just all these little, there are 17 little tanks that look like R2-D2 from Star Wars and they all like little beer kegs. And in those are all our eggs. So the, the lab manager just opened the top of one, hoiked out a whole load. And then I could just see all these, they're called cassettes that all the eggs are stored in. I could see all these multicolored cassettes with different initials on and they've got, they're all barcoded. So no mistakes can happen. But that was kind of amazing seeing That's the actual tank that they're in. And what made me laugh is it just, it didn't look very scientific at all. <laughs> just like a, it was just literally like a just an office. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, super, super lo-fi. Really, really lo-fi. But you know, there's lots of liquid nitrogen and the list get great results. So I think it's fine. Can I just ask a stupid question? Mm-hmm. Um, no such thing. Has yeah. your egg production gone back to normal? Because obviously you've had this huge boom and then right. does it then now... Yeah. Yeah, this is one of the questions that was asked a lot in the open evenings that I went to because all clinics now open, offer egg freezing open evenings and women would always tentatively ask this question like do we basically forfeit eggs in the future if we're trying to squirrel away these eggs, so many eggs now in the freezer? And no, the truth is, it's so crazy mother nature's slight cock up I think we are all born with between one to two million eggs right by the time we hit our 30s that has dwindled oh god I'm now not going to remember the number but it's, it's dwindled I think we dropped to sort of tens of thousands by that point the rate of attrition of eggs is incredibly high and every month we obviously ovulate one egg but we actually get rid of dozens of eggs every month they just eggs sort of start growing and they don't quite mature and then they just drift away so we have we we have a lot of eggs and that we produce every month anyway. And what egg freezing does is it just encourages all those eggs, which would be normally growing in a monthly cycle to mature. So you're not using up any stores from the future. You're just trying to get every egg from that cycle to a point where it is mature and it then can be frozen, if that answers that. But people do definitely panic that it's sort of eating into their reserves for the future, but it's, it's not. Do you anticipate, I mean, there's no reason why there should be, but I just wonder, I mean, it's a sort of, it's a sort of, I apologize in advance, but Mm. do you anticipate how it might feel to have the conversation with a new boyfriend? Well, I suppose the thing is with me is I've now, I keep thinking I've now written and shouted about this so much as, probably no man I'm going to date you know if basically if anyone googles me that's the, now the first thing that's going to come up is how much I've shouted about egg freezing no I tell you what I I haven't got there in my head yet what I am a bit worried about is that I mean I'm not trying to date very hard at the moment I basically have been on I mean literally two dates I think in the past two years but I do think it probably gives off a bit of a funny message 
to men at the moment. I'm busy sort of shout. I've made this podcast. I'm busy writing about it. I think it might be a bit off-putting for some men that I was. But for of... other men, it might be reassuring because you are not just a throbbing ovary desperate to get impregnated. You know, you've got your backup plan. Yeah, this is kind of the crazy thing. On one, if you really think about it, the fact that I've done this means that I'm actually not desperate to have a baby tomorrow. But I do think men are just a bit like, oh god, crazy woman discussing her ovaries everywhere I look. So I'm not going to go near that. But the, the other thing is, I don't, I don't know if I really care about that because I don't really. If those are the, I don't really want to date those men, do I? So that'll separate the sheep from the wolves, <laughs> won't it? Yeah. Do you think we should all just sit down the first date and go, period, period, ovary, ovary, <laughs> cervix? and see what happens tampon <laughs> yes tandem, tampon if they projectile vomit we go okay so I, I know who you are now I don't know what level of date conversation is that date five or six maybe I mentioned that I don't know we'll see I'll cross that bridge when I come to it <laughs> and you haven't put a sort of time limit on yourself have you in terms of this is when I will then take the next step or no I haven't really I mean I do think if I if I want to have a baby by myself I think I might try and do it in the next three years but then that's a pretty big window isn't it I mean, that gives me quite a lot of time. Um, I frank- I, at the moment, frankly, it's quite hard to predict what we're doing next week, isn't it? Are we going to be allowed out? We're not going to be allowed out. Can we go to the pub with, you know, three friends or one and a half friends or what? So I'm vaguely thinking three years, but who knows? You just don't know at the moment, do you? So we shall see. Well, you. Well, the wonderful thing is, is because you're so brave and fantastic, you don't have to know. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I've sort of got them, yeah. I've got them in the freezer and I can, I've definitely, definitely relaxed quite a lot since doing it. It's so weird, even anticipating that I was going to relax, how much it has, uh, how much it has relaxed me. So you were carrying a weight you didn't even realise you were carrying. Yeah, subconsciously, definitely. I think that will, I think that will resonate with a lot of women. Yeah. And, um, and uh, anyone who's interested in hearing more about this really rather compelling tale, do (laughs) listen to Sophia's new podcast, Freezing Time. Freezing Time. uh, Which is both sort of funny and touching and you know, almost most importantly, really informative. Oh, well, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, I wanted it to be all those things. So I'm delighted that you've said that. I hope it, um, yeah, I hope it helps. Thank you for coming on today. And um, and you need to come well, back you for the next chapter. Yes. Yes, please. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to hear everything. All the gory details. Yeah. Yes, please. The gory the better. <laughs> it was completely excellent to see you. <laughs> Cracking. <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Midult. Our book... I'm Absolutely Fine is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. And we'll just leave you with this thought. Your heart will go on. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.